following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Merry Christmas. I'd like to share with you a reading according to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, as, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Well, once again, welcome to Artisan Church on this beautiful Christmas Eve night. Um, I love that we have some children with us because what are we celebrating at Christmas but the birth of Jesus? And uh, so I think we all should make an agreement with each other that if we hear a little bit of uh, kid noise, especially if we hear a baby crying, we'll just remind ourselves of Jesus. How does that sound? And uh, the kids have their children's moment coming up at the end of my sermon. So that's something that we can all look forward to. Uh, also, it's a short sermon, which everyone will be talking about on the way home. Wasn't it great that it was so short? <laughs> Gosh, I wish it was Christmas every day, <laughs> at least every Sunday. Um, so I wanted to, uh, to know, what is, your, what is your family's longest-running debate that they have around the Christmas table? We're all going to be having this debate tomorrow. Now, we're going to leave politics out of it, but what's like the fun debate that your family has? Can you shout something out to me that your family argues about every year and they never quite figure it out? <laughs> Go ahead. Not the family, but a, a, uh, Oxford comma? Oh, the Oxford comma. <laughs> so which of your family members use the Oxford comma and which ones of them are wrong? <laughs> okay, good. We've solved that one. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's a big one. When do we get to open our presents? Yes. That debate never gets solved. Oh, which stocking is, is which stocking is whose stocking? Is that what she said? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, Joe's the older one, right? So the bigger one is hers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, any other really great debates? Like, who were the greatest quarterback of all time, or the? the Oh my goodness. So who in your family says Reese's Pieces and who in your family is wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) My wife is right there. If you could have a conversation with her uh, sometime tonight, that would be great. So families are good at arguing, right? We're not always good at 
concluding our arguments uh, as evidenced by the fact that they come up year after year after year, right? Um, and the Christian family is no exception. Uh, the, the Christian family started arguing pretty much as soon as it started to exist, and it's been arguing ever since in one way or another. Uh, but from the earliest days, even in the, in the pages of the Bible, in the New Testament, um, in the book of Acts, you see stories of Christians disagreeing with each other. Paul and Barnabas, two of the key leaders in the formation of the early church, argued about something so bitterly that they went their separate ways and never worked with each other again. Um, we have a, a, a fairly vociferous debate in the church about whether uh, new Christians who were not Jewish before have to become Jewish first before they can become Christians. Because Christianity, of course, was born out of uh, Judaism. And as the church, uh, as the Christian faith matured and grew, there was one topic in the early centuries that was far and away the most commonly debated idea in the church. And that topic was the nature of Jesus. The debate was, was Jesus truly and fully God, or was Jesus truly and fully an ordinary human being? Or something in between, because there's a million different versions of uh, and sides on this debate. And the truth that the church landed on is one of the most central doctrines of the Christian religion. One of the most important ideas, if you want to understand Christianity, is the answer to this question that they were fighting about in their early days. It also happens to be one of the deepest mysteries of the universe. We don't like that, by the way, do we? We want the answers to reduce the level of mystery in our life. In this case, the answer just said, it's a mystery. (laughs) Because the answer to the question, is Jesus a human being or is Jesus God, is yes. yes. (laughs) Right? As the words of the Nicene Creed say of Jesus, he is God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. That's how the early church settles the debate. That's how the argument stops being an argument, and we get Christian orthodoxy. And listen, it's not just a question of one side winning the debate and booting the other ones out. The reason they landed on this particular view is because this is the particular view that is taught in Scripture. You heard it just a second ago in that reading from 1 John. You heard it earlier in the reading uh, from the book of John, chapter 1. And you heard it earlier from the, uh, the reading from Hebrews, chapter 1. Do you remember the reading from Hebrews that says, In these last days God has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. That sounds like a very divine Jesus to me. John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And then at the very end of that beautiful prologue to John's Gospel, you hear these words about the Word. Jesus, the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. Jesus' divinity and His humanity 
shine through in these profound words from Scripture. And the church reflected that scriptural truth in their early creedal statements. Statements that still guide and shape our worship and our understanding of Jesus today, centuries later. And so, of course, once the church uh, solved that argument and they, they codified it in the Nicene Creed, the church has never argued about this idea again. We've, no one's ever gotten it wrong. Of course, that's not true. Debates like this don't just go away. That's not how they work. It's not how they work, whether it's some mundane detail about how you pronounce a candy or uh, who's the greatest quarterback of all time. We're not going to go there because it's Christmas. We don't want that kind of controversy. And they, those debates certainly don't go away when it's about the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith. And listen, it's not because someone is out there trying to start a heresy every five minutes. While that may be true, that's not the reason that we continue to have this debate. The truth is, this stuff is deep and it's complicated. It's hard to grasp. They call it a mystery for a reason. And so, we need constant reminders of both aspects of Jesus' nature. And I love how the, the, the Christian calendar is set up to give us that. You have moments like Epiphany, like the miracles that remind us of Jesus' divinity. And you have moments like Christmas that remind us of Jesus' humanity. Which, I, I would say, I, we, do, we do kind of get it wrong, and I don't really love that phrasing, but we do kind of get it wrong on both sides of that debate. Sometimes we overemphasize one and sometimes we overemphasize the other. But I would say that at least within the church, the more likely error is for us to dehumanize Jesus. We want and prefer the miracle performing Jesus, the Jesus with his face shining, the Jesus ascending to heaven like a cloud. Because that Jesus makes us feel safe and protected And rightfully so. But the story of Christmas is the story of God becoming human. Not just human-like. Not just taking on the appearance of humanity. But becoming fully human. And the Christmas story gives us a Jesus who feels joy and sorrow and anger and everything in between. It gives us a Jesus who loves us in proximity from up close. Close enough to touch. We've seen his glory. The Christmas story gives us ultimately a Jesus who bleeds and dies. And the reason that Jesus' humanity is so present to us at Christmas is not only because that's where the whole incarnation begins, that is kind of the start of that part of the story, but also because the God of the universe arrives in our presence as a baby. Think of it. A baby. Have you ever seen a baby? What a silly way for God to appear. A baby. Can we make a list of the things that a baby can't do? A baby can't talk. A baby can't walk. A baby can't feed himself or herself. A baby can't, can't, can't communicate. Babies make a mess. Babies cry and keep you up at night. 
This, by the way, is, I have the, uh, is why I have this, this long-running, ongoing hang-up with the song Away in a Manger. I promise that I won't give you the full rant right now. I'm just, I'll just give you the abbreviated, truncated version of the rant. Which is to say, when the verse comes around that says, The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but the little Lord Jesus no crying. I don't like that verse at all. <laughs> it really bothers me. Because if you, if you have a Jesus who's truly human, and that true human being is a baby, guess what? He cries. And listen, I'm not saying you can never sing that song. I'm not going to ruin Christmas. <laughs> at least not that way. But I actually do think that the songs we sing in church matter. And I think the words of those songs matter because they shape us. Art shapes us in a way that other things don't. And if the tears of Jesus as a baby are not real, then the tears of Jesus weeping at the death of his friend Lazarus, Lazarus, are not real. And his tears at the people of Jerusalem having gone astray are not real. And his tears as he bore the sins of the world on the cross are not real. This is what led one of the early church fathers to say what Jesus has not assumed, what he has not taken on for himself. He has not healed. He has not redeemed. Our salvation is bound up in the idea that Jesus was fully, completely human. Even at the same time, he was fully and completely divine. So at Christmas time, As we think of God becoming a baby, let us celebrate the incarnation, God taking on a human body. Let us celebrate the humanity of Jesus, the Word made flesh who lived among us, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and became truly human. Let us celebrate at Christmas because we worship a God who cries. Amen. And I'm going to ask our kids to come forward for our children's moment. And I'm going to sit right here on the edge of the platform. And you can all sit right there on the floor there. What? You, you like to play in the major? You have a connection? Oh, you did? It is a beautiful, beautiful melody. I really do love the melody. And this is beautiful too, Susie. Wonderful. Hello. Merry Christmas. So, I have a question. Uh, I need, let's, let's see. Um, how old are you? Five and a half. Okay. Uh, I should have said one at a time. That's basic, right? right? You said eight, right? Eight years old. How old are you? Five and a half. Five and a half. Seven and three quarters. <laughs> Seven, and in three months you'll be eight on St. Patrick's Day. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you know that Jesus was exactly your age at one time? Yeah. Jesus was exactly eight <coughs> years old. Jesus was exactly five and a half years old. Jesus was exactly seven and three quarters of years old. Of years? Is that a thing? And you are three? Did you know Jesus was three years old once? Just like you, Rowan? And what about two? What about Susie? How old are you, Susie? Two. Two? Two and a half. Was Jesus ever two and a half? 
He was. You're three. Did you know that Jesus was three once, too? You know, we think about Jesus as a little baby in the manger, right? And then we think about Jesus as a total grown-up, like real old, like 30. (laughs) But we don't usually think about Jesus as being seven, do we? We don't think about Jesus as being three years old. Do you know, this is a weird thing, but I'm going to say it. Do you know that Jesus had to be potty trained? I know. We don't like to think about that, but it's true. What is the best part about being five and a half years old? Well, you, you were five and a half. What was the best part about it? Being a kid. Being a kid? Yeah. Be, oh, not like you, but really young kid, though. I'm five and a half. You're five and a half? What's something that's hard about being five and a half? Listening. Do you think Jesus ever had trouble listening? Yes. I think so. He was a kid just like you. See, si. Oh, it's a, a, you're speaking Spanish. <laughs> or is it Italian? No, it's Spanish. Espanol. Espanol, sorry. <laughs> Did you know that Jesus was just a kid like you for a long time? He had the same kinds of fun. Maybe he didn't play video games. So I'm not saying that. But he played with his friends. You don't play video games? I like video games. It's okay. He had the same kind of problems and challenges that we have. What's that? You don't play very many video games like you do? Well, yeah, yeah, well. Did Jesus play board games? No. He might have played games that were kind of like board games. That's that's true. In the Egyptian Empire, they had sport games. He he could have made some. This is getting way too fast. I am way out of my depth here. They didn't teach me about this stuff in seminary. But here's the thing. Jesus, even though he was just like us, just like each one of you kids, he was also just like God. And you know what? That means that Jesus can show us the very best way to live and to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. Jesus, because he was just a kid like you and because he was God, can show you how to be the best eight-year-old that you can be or the best five-and-a-half-year-old or seven-and-three-quarter-year-old that you can be or two-year-old or three-year-old. And do you know what else? A four. A four. Let's not keep them out of the deal. Do you know what else? And this is the last thing that I want to tell you. Can you all look at me? Because I want you to hear this part. It's very important that you know this. This is what I think about all of you. Because of the fact that Jesus was a kid just like you, that means that all of you remind all of us grown-ups about a special part of who Jesus is. You remind us about when Jesus was small, not big like us, it's small. So that is one of your jobs in church, to remind all of us grown-ups that Jesus was once a kid and he was a real person. Isn't that neat? I'm so glad that you are all here as part of our church to do that job for us. So can I pray and ask God to bless all of you tonight? Is that okay? All right. Will you um, maybe quiet your, your, your voices and your bodies for a minute while I pray for you, and then you can go back and sit with your family.
Dear Jesus, thank you for these kids who are all an age that you used to be. Thank you for the fact that they show us a little bit, a special part of who you are and what you were like. I pray that you would bless them this Christmas and always. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Right. Well, when I, when, on your way back to your, your families, can I ask you to do a special thing for the rest of us? I want you to kind of bless our communion table, and you can just do that by touching it very gently. There's no magic or anything, but when you touch this table, it's going to remind us that you are part of who we are and that Jesus loves us. Can you do that on your way back to your families? Just gently touch that table. Well, we are going to celebrate communion together tonight. And uh, each of you is invited to celebrate this sacrament of the church uh, tonight with us. You don't have to be a member of Artisan Church. If you're visiting with us, you're welcome. There's no requirement uh, of membership at all. Simply uh, a requirement of you expecting Jesus to be present here with you in this moment. And of trusting in Jesus and seeking to follow him. So um, I'm going to invite our band to come back up as we uh, take communion. And an artisan, we practice in tinction, which just means dipping, basically. You can take a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups and eat it right at the table. And I'll ask you to come up through the middle aisles and then go out through the outer aisles. There is uh, regular bread, gluten-free bread, wine, juice, and uh, self-contained, um, sterilized, sealed uh, host, if you wish. All of those options are available to you. Take the one that you would prefer. Um, as you come... Uh, May this be an act of unity with each other and with Christians around the world who are celebrating the birth of Jesus today. May it be food for your weary souls, and may it be the real presence of Jesus the Savior, the God who cries. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.